0: So getting disability and chronic illnesses, many of those inflammation and autoimmune diseases should not be in a medical system. They're in. You can treat those with lifestyle choices, and then there's this myth, and please help me debunk this, and this is something that we're going to together debunk, that healthy food is more expensive. Healthy food
1: Tell is me- not more expensive.
0: Tell me about it. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Healthy food is not more expensive. And this is a thing that is so fascinating because, you know, nutritionists and the medical system, and because individuals are that revenue stream within the medical system, you know, then, and the way we treat people and the way we measure also their ailments as well, we've been measuring them incorrectly. So for example, you know, telling people not to eat potatoes potatoes are one of the cheapest foods on the planet.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet. And today we have a beautiful, wonderful, smart, inspiring, dedicated world changing guest and that is BA Link. Now, B is the inventor of A Linker bikes, and you have to check out these bikes because they are incredible. They are a vehicle for social change, including B herself, and and B is the creator of the reverse design way of approaching the world. B is a paradigm shifter, edge walker, and developed the reverse designs life practice. So, stay tuned for this show to learn all about that. I love the work that B has done in the world. She has traveled all around Africa, Afghanistan, the Sudan, Ethiopia, everywhere, um, Kosovo and Indonesia. And she has gained appreciation for building the power within communities as a real, result of her life-changing work. The common theme behind all of these projects is connecting people with, with each other by creating meaningful work and social context through which people can actively engage. And this, of course, is all based on who we are as humans, and it's also based on who we choose to be. So this is going to be an amazing discussion. More things that you should know about B. She was she founded the A-Linker Family Farm, which has been in existence for since 2019. And now the work that B is doing is com- to combine the A Linker bikes, an incredible technology that was designed to help people with mobility challenges be able to get out into the world, be mobile, be active, be adventurous, go places where they could not normally go due to having a disability. And now B is introducing nutrition as well as a major component of all that she does, because you know, and I know, we all know that diet and disease are related. So by giving people access to mobility, being able to get around and also access to nutrition to reverse a lot of the debilitating chronic diseases that come from poor food choices, Or lack of access to healthy food and also from being sedentary, well, we can help more people all around the world reclaim their health and realize their true peak potential. Super excited to have me on the show. Now, before we jump into this podcast, I definitely want to let you know about what we are up to because we've launched our nutrition and detox coaching program. And I encourage you to sign up for that because. When you do, I'm going to be teaching you through live coaching every two weeks for six months how to be able to coach clients to use food as medicine to reverse their chronic diseases. Who doesn't want to learn how to do that? You can do this program if you just want to help yourself. But guess what? You'll be so inspired with the science, the knowledge, the skills, and the art of being able to use food as medicine to successfully reverse chronic conditions like autoimmune disorders, Um, diabetes, heart disease, infertility, and more. And you'll want to go out and support your community as well. The second half of the program is all dedicated to you launching your business. So we're going to take you, even if you've never launched a business before, I'm going to teach you exactly how to do that for how to register your business name and how to build a website and do your social media and attract clients and also find your niche so I really encourage you, if you're looking for a career change or if you just want to add additional revenue streams to your existing income, then sign up for our nutrition and de- detox course because we are building an army of healers. And we want you to join our team so you can be supporting clients all around the world, companies, you can work for organizations, you can build a nonprofit. you can do so many things with the knowledge that you are going to gain in this program to be able to give back to the world in really incredible ways. And so together we can crush this chronic disease epidemic that is upon us. So head on over to our website, the link is below in the show notes and register today to be our nutrition and detox certified coach. We've graduated three cohorts of students already and we want you to be the next and now stay tuned for this wonderful show with B. Hello everyone and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I'm your host Nicolette Richet and I am thrilled to have B a A-Link on our show today because we are going to be talking about a subject that has not been on this show before talking about how we can be the change in supporting people who have mobility challenges or people with disabilities and how they move and get around this world. And B has managed to perfect the most amazing system, the most amazing tool, which she's going to tell us all about today. So welcome
0: to our show, B. Thanks, Nicolette. It's amazing to see you again, to be here in this space with you. So, thank yeah,
1: you. it is so exciting because we met first at SBI, at the Social Venture Institute through Hollyhock on, in Cortez, Cortez
0: right? Seven, think... eight years ago or something, it must be. I think. Yeah, that
1: was something a while like ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think your business, were you still in the patent, patenting phase of the... I was still uh, in the
0: prototyping a- phase at that time, yes.
1: Right, yes. right. So let's start by having you tell everybody exactly what it is, the, the, the beautiful service and tool that you provide to the world.
0: All right. So <laughs> service. Mm.
1: It is a service and yeah, and it, a product. It has,
0: it has become a service, I guess. As a, as a company, we, we are providing services. But yeah, so the, the A-Linker um, is a three-wheeled walking bike. Um, that has two wheels in the front, one in the back, overarching frame, with the seating assembly on top of it, and it's got Ackermann steering, same steering as a car, um, to make it comfortable and um, uh, maneuverable. Um, I designed it not, not, like most medical devices are designed as a technical solution for a body with a problem, we are not a body with a problem. We are whole human beings who mm-hmm. like to be engaged and active. Um, but this medical system treats us as a body with a problem and that has a lot more added problems to it. <laughs> um, and if, if there's one thing that I've learned in, this, in, in doing this company is that isolation is a way bigger problem than the physical stuff that people deal with. And the fact that this system drives people into poverty is kind of the biggest thing to deal with like how do we reach people that have been dismissed and discarded into a corner of poverty and now have no say anymore Mm -hmm. Um, no agency no independence and somewhere are in the you know uh, in isolation and and we don't even know about how many people are dealing with that because we don't hear them
1: no, we don't hear them at all. And that's the hard thing is that, you know, in public health, they have all these statistics on everything, but it's true. Like if you're not hearing from somebody, their voices are not being counted and heard. And then of course we design these systems to support the people that do get heard, but not the people that don't get heard. And what I'm so blown away by, by the a linker is the fact that you know, up until I saw your product, you know, the only thing I knew about for people who had mobility challenges or people with disabilities was, you know, a scooter or a um, a chair, a wheelchair, which really, I mean, the most amount of movement that they're getting when they're sitting on these is, you know, using their fingers to drive the, the scooter or their arms for the wheelchair, but their legs don't get any movement. Mm-hmm. And, so that's, and I just was so shocked that nobody had thought about this before you. And so, can you go back to the beginning and let us know? I love the story of how you first um, thought about this.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the environment is an environment of liability. The medical system is like, get used to the wheelchair. At least nothing will happen to you because you cannot fall and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But of course, a lot will happen to you when you use a wheelchair and you can still use your legs, but there's, but you're appointed into a wheelchair what happens to you is that you lose the rest of your mobility because what you don't use you lose muscles um, also balance and everything you are likely to increase your weight when you're constantly seated Um, you're likely to have increased chance for diabetes heart disease Um, about 80 percent of people that have disabilities are on antidepressants because that's how our society treat people with disability. It's not a nice zone to be in. And to be clear, people with disabilities is not, uh, is, is a lot wider um, than, than what the see because a lot of disabilities are invisible, yet impact um, uh, mobility, for example, neuropathy, um, chronic pain, um, arthritis. These are all things that, that impact mobility. You don't see it. Um, and then it, when it's not visible, people don't know how to think about that. Now, I actually had people um, share with me that the linker is not just allows them to, to, to go out and to do things again, but also allows them to talk about their invisible disability without any stigma, because the focal point is a cool bike. Wow, what a cool bike.
1: And it is a cool bike. Like I saw a picture on, I think it was your Instagram of the bike next to a kid's scooter. And Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. not even that much bigger than a kid's scooter, actually. Like when you look at the length of it and it just, it looks like a super cool, awesome device. Like, you know, something that I can see hipsters running around on and, um, Mm -hmm. and how very awesome to make something that is very cool for people who have mobility challenges. Like, I just think that is brilliant.
0: And what I like about it is that it messes with the assumptions that people have about disability.
1: Mm-hmm. It totally <laughs> What does. a cool
0: bike. Why do you need it? It's like, well, I give you a clue. I can't walk. And they're like, oh, what? But you're so cool. How how can you be disabled? You don't look disabled, is what a lot of people get. It's like, what does disabled look like, really? That yeah, says everything yes. about your assumptions and not about what um, disabilities are.
1: Yeah, because if you saw somebody, you know, on the seawall in a wheelchair, there is no doubt in your mind that they were injured or they have a disability. But if you saw somebody on the A, you probably wouldn't even look twice if you saw them on the A-linker, other than to be like, wow, cool bike, where do I get one of those? Mm -hmm. And so it just immediately centers you into relationship with the individual from just a human to human perspective, as opposed to you know a Mm -hmm. healthy, let's say, human to somebody who doesn't have health and then that would automatically shift the conversation as well the way it would begin
0: plus that people we have um um, people that use the elinker that can barely walk that Mm -hmm. have ms or had a massive stroke and they do marathons on the elinker i don't do a marathon on the elinker so who's disabled now (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) and that sort of really misses like messes with the assumptions and what is disability i think our society disables people Mm -hmm. because it excludes people but people don't live with live with different mobility and um you know we move all different that's okay that doesn't mean i'm disabled yeah you know but society disables you because society wants to label you yeah with that it disables you yeah just the moment we give a, a term to people, like Martin Luther King always said that, like you call people slaves, now we can dehumanize them mm-hmm. and we can treat them as, as different humans, lesser humans or something. Same with disabled, if it's disabled, then you know we can put that away and not pay attention to it anymore and not be confronted with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I think we're, we're vulnerable creatures, mortality, illness, um, disability is real in our life, starts with glasses. Mm-hmm. I I can make my disability look cool by cool glasses, but still a disability. But is it? And does it determine who I am? No. (laughs) So, you know, um, messing with the with assumptions is um, is important because we make way too many assumptions um, and judge people on that.
1: Exactly. And I love how your background, because you have a background in engineering and design, and lots of backgrounds, actually, which we're going to get into. Um, but so many of the challenges that you know humans face, and like you say, it's our society that is labeling the person as disabled, making them disabled. Actually, just because we haven't brought our design sense, our engineering minds, you know, to say how can we support people who have mobility challenges or any kind of challenge, right? Like it could be financial challenge, childcare challenges. It's like absolutely everything, but it's that design mind um, that when we say like, Hey, Like how how about, you know, designing this, you know, your a linker so that the people when you meet them, they're actually at eye level as opposed to a wheelchair, which often we're looking down at the person as well. So I just think that that was a beautiful aspect of your design. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And I always want to point out that people that wheelchairs are fantastic if you need them. It's just that 60% of the people that use wheelchairs can still use their legs mm-hmm. and there wasn't anything designed for them to use their legs and to yeah. be at eye level. It's yeah. not that eye level is the golden standard because we need to try and fit in with all the people on eye level. I think the the, the temporarily able-bodied people that look down on wheelchair mm-hmm. users or exclude them are the problem. Yeah. So yeah. Let's, let's put that very clear there because um, wheelchairs are totally awesome and Give freedom and agency um, as well, yeah. <laughs> right? No, it's and, it's not like this is bad wheelchair, good <laughs> linger. It's not no. that at all.
1: <laughs> but it's also just looking, and I fully agree with you there, a hundred percent. But it's also I remember reading in uh, the book *Glimmer*, um, which is a brilliant book for anybody who wants to read about how people have used design to change the world, and it was also just you know going back to the wheelchair and 100% like it's it I always say this medications are fantastic when you know we don't have any other options um, medication is amazing we should not look down at people when they take medication should not look down at anybody just because you physically are looking down into a wheelchair but there was a an engineer who actually saw that a lot of people who were in wheelchairs also couldn't actually see above the counter. So when they went into cafes and when they went into different places, they they didn't have the same view mm-hmm. as a lot of people. So they couldn't like even access a lot of the information like on how to order things or, you know, and so he designed a wheelchair that actually just had a button that allowed the person to be mm-hmm. propped up temporarily, like while they were ordering or communicating oh. with somebody and then to be able to, you know, sit back down. And it was, you know, and who would have thought about designing a wheelchair for that purpose, just to allow somebody to... Order in restaurants and cafes.
0: Well, I think you would you would design a lot different if you <laughs> ask people with disabilities what how they want to live. <laughs> like, totally. it's so simple, right? Mm-hmm. Like somebody, I had a conversation with, yesterday with somebody, and she said, and this was about developing the linker for heavier people with a higher weight capacity, which we're working on. And she said, would you would you include uh, heavier people to get the these absolutely
1: mm-hmm. like
0: that's what i've done with the linker we like if anything i've listened yeah very well to hundreds of people if not thousands of people by the way um and so yes of course heavier people are the core of of, of for me to know what to design mm-hmm. um, and this is often the thing that designers have an assumption about what your problem is and then they're fixing your problem but mm-hmm. these are not problems like I, I, don't fix problems. This is this is, and that goes to to my reverse design practices. I don't see problems. I do see that things are problematic, um, but they're often symptoms of a system that is not designed for the well-being of us. So the same. That goes back to what you, what you said earlier. Maybe we should, well, we should do a lot. But the system dictates and has conditioned us. To to be a certain way. Like I always, as an example, say like racism is not the problem. Racism is the tool of a system. Mm -hmm. So a symptom of a system that needs racism. So we don't know from each other what's happening. Right. To keep us separated and feeling small in all our little minorities. Racism and sexism and ableism are by design. But it also means if we are raised in a system that is ableist, sexist and racist, we are ableist, sexist and racist mm-hmm. by by definition, unless we undo our own conditioning and choose who we want to be going forward.
1: Mm.
0: So that's kind of my my lens looking at the world like. Yeah, I can try and get more women to get VC funding, for example, it's only two something percent of VC money goes to women, but which women want to really be included in that process, because it's, it's a traumatizing process. It is. It's really not, because it's not meant for us to thrive. Yeah. It's meant for a few guys to thrive and that's exactly what you see so why would we, we want to be included in a system that is traumatizing for us that doesn't welcome us mm-hmm. so i don't always when there's a problem i'm like hmm, is that really a problem i don't mm-hmm. think so it's a symptom yeah. of that system why would i want to engage in that system if it's not designed for us to 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 flourish and then you can turn around and have without the 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 constraint of the problem that you're looking at you can be free in thinking like oh we need to create some healthcare here that's mm-hmm. not healthcare that's sick care yeah and then you can turn around it's like what is healthcare what is really healthcare that would support all of our health and wellness without exclusion right and then you've got a very different way of looking at things
1: yeah i love how your heart and your mind work in this beautiful unison and where did that start where were you just born that way was it where you went to school you know you have been an advocate for social change for inclusion um you going back to even um your time in kenya as well. You have a background in woodworking. So tell us a little bit about that, because I'm always just so mesmerized when I meet individuals like yourself that really have this massive, massive heart and desire to make the world better.
0: Make make the world better i'm not sure (laughs) no
1: not me not make the world better or make it an individual's lives (laughs)
0: better (laughs) or just create the world that i'd like to live in Mm. because when i came into the world the world wasn't designed for me and that was very quickly very at very young age that was very clear i'm not a typical boy i'm not a typical girl i have female genitalia of which half have been removed right now Mm. (laughs) but so at birth i was designed to female sex and then you're living in a world that boys get very specific messages and girls get very specific messages and how you're supposed to behave and what you're supposed to choose in school for your future and all that stuff is inundated with messages Mm -hmm. that that forces in being in, into being conditioned to be that person, in I think an economic model. We don't live in a culture; we live in an economic model mm-hmm. of woman, men, children, cornerstone of society, marriage, everything yeah. <laughs> to that. Right? That's an economic model, and in that exclusive binary model, there's a lot of people that don't fit there. Mm-hmm. Most of people actually don't know they don't fit there because they're so conditioned they think they fit there. But that's just the conditioning, I think. I've lived in many, many different countries, non-Western countries. And in every country that I lived, there's more than two genders. Mm-hmm. Every country, including Afghanistan to Sudan, where there is more than two than the, than the solely binary system. It's only the Western world, the Western capitalistic, system that has a purely binary focus
1: so tell us more about that because i think this is something that most people living in a western world will and who are progressive and open and saying okay there's more than just male and female they think they're leading that revolution where explain what you mean that in other countries that are non-western there is more than one more than the two binary genders
0: well let's stay in canada The indigenous people here have at least five genders, depends a little bit on which which area of Canada, but on on average, there's like five different genders. When the colonists came, they enforced the binary system there and went specifically after the um, uh, two spirit people, because they're a threat to the economic model, Mm -hmm. I think. Everything and that the doesn't... religious
1: model, and the religious model as well.
0: For sure, mm-hmm. which nicely goes together. You started in residential schools, the colonist system with the church. It's a perfect fit for uh, abuse. <laughs> and mm-hmm. because it is a model that doesn't allow anything but a assumed mainstream, which is a big minority still, <laughs> it mm-hmm. just happens to have the power, um, and forces people to, to behave according to what is expected of them, but that's not who we are. Mm-hmm. And so um, indigenous people have lived with multiple genders for thousands of years.
1: And what are those genders? Can you define them?
0: Well, there's the, the woman, the man, there's the two spirit, and there's two sort of in-betweens. Hmm. And, and the more you define it, the more problematic it becomes. Because oh, exactly. this is this is what I I didn't have language when I grew up for what I felt, what my gender experience was. Yeah. And then I've learned over time that in the absence of language, there's actually a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. When I came to Afghanistan as a woman, falling in love with women, um, tall woman. Um, Male, uh, male, like some people uh, feel me as a as a male person. Um, in Afghanistan, I was dressed in male clothing, predominantly. They've, they they well knew there was a woman, but they dressed me in male clothing. I'm in the construction industry, of course, as an as a woodworker, architect, and I could live my soul in Afghanistan, like. I've never lived my soul. And it was not because I'm an international woman because other international women or men did not have that same experience. It's a gender
1: right.
0: It's a gender thing that they recognize without wording because the moment you say in Afghanistan, I'm a lesbian, they have to you know, have an opinion. You right. force people to have an opinion the moment you give it a term. Right. So I have actually learned that the absence of language gives me freedom to be just me. Yeah, And yeah, I've refused to, to, to adapt any kind of language. And if anything, Two-Spirit would be the closest to me, but that's not my term to use. That's mm-hmm. an Indigenous term here. And I do not want to use that or, or appropriate that because it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, right? So, but any other culture. And deep down, I think we were all Indigenous people somewhere. until the capitalistic colonizing system um, um, started colonizing the world and and came with an economic model to take over cultural and communal systems. That's where I think we got a little bit lost, we as in the white Western world, um, in, in, in trying to live an economic system rather than a communal system. Then it became transactional because we've got an economic thing instead of a relational thing which is community and you look after each other in the capitalistic world we have been we've been made to believe that i as an individual individual is more important than the well-being of the community mm-hmm. how on earth can we live that way that is completely like you just say that out loud and then it's like what i know but then you can have people that say like I want my freedom, even if it's over the back of other people, because I have learned that my right is bigger than the well-being of the community. That's not freedom. Freedom comes with responsibility to a community that you're part of. The community gives, the community takes, but you are together making sure that this is a good environment for everybody in it. We've completely lost that in the Mm -hmm. Western world.
1: Yeah. And I feel that so deeply. I mean, I already have, you know, I have three children that again, even just labeling them, my children doesn't even feel right. Cause they are, you know, they are children, humans of this beautiful world that we live in. And I'm not the only one who raises them. I mean, my community raises them, the beautiful people who mentor my daughter in photography have a huge influence on her and her decision so I do love what you say about how language is so limiting and and it takes away from our you know our heartfelt feeling about that relationship or that experience and then it it does. If you put that word on it, and then all of a sudden you feel like the the closing in and the judgment mm-hmm. and the um, expectation settle in, as opposed to exactly what you said that freedom that comes from actually not naming it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we all know some semantics get hugely in the way of you mm-hmm. know people being able to relate to each other, and you know people get so offended so quickly because of the semantics. And and I do love what you're saying is that. Yeah, but then I don't. E- I wouldn't even know how do you even begin to break down this existing system and,
0: and develop
1: that. I, th-
0: I, I think you don't because it's, the system is not out there. I think the crux is that we realize that we are the system mm-hmm. as long as we're acting as conditioned people. And the work to decondition yourself like, huh, I'm not good enough. That's probably not what I told myself. That's probably a message from my mom or Mm -hmm. school or um, a previous employer. All those messages that relate to scarcity, not being good enough, um, not being worthy, are not my messages. But you have to decondition yourself to start learning to trust what we actually deeply know in ourselves we have a deep knowing of what's wrong and what's right we -hmm. have a deep knowing not 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 so much what's wrong but we have a deep knowing of our truth we just have not learned to listen to that Mm -hmm. and our whole western science system tells us that we can only believe what we can prove Right, We don't need to believe what we can prove because we can prove it. (laughs) Certain things are just provable, right? Yeah. And certain things, my experiences, for example, I can't prove my experiences, but they're true to me. And I have learned not to believe that because I can't prove it. That's the Western, that's how much we are conditioned to not trust ourselves, but to go by all the messages and how we're conditioned. And so to uncondition ourselves and to put new things in place or anchor back to what we can actually trust, what we deeply know, is huge work because the conditioning has been, (laughs) and going on, dramatic.
1: Yeah. And the conditioning has been so dramatic. I mean, it's led to wars. It's led to like extreme, extreme amounts of death. And, um, you know, it continues every day. And it is one of the parts that, um, you know, when I hear you say that people know, like, deep within them that sense of right and wrong, or that's, you know, the truth or that is true to them. It's, I mean, that's something I'm still practicing. It's, it's releasing that mentality of the scientific method. You know, if it can't be proven, then it isn't, but also Mm -hmm. how do you communicate this inner truth and this inner knowing, because that's the first often response you get from others is well prove that right. And it's like, okay, well, I can't prove it. I just know it to be my experience. And so then it, you know, goes into again, separation, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, further trauma and drama. And, you know, so yeah, where this, where that, un- the question I have is where besides the unconditioning, the deconditioning happening in, within yourself, where, and how can we support that deconditioning in a you know community level or just in a family level or you
0: know even I I think it's by example like if you if you choose to be a kind person I always say Mm -hmm. and really try to be as congruent as possible which is kind of impossible if you live in a city in a western city because you go to the supermarket there's maybe three percent of the product that i can actually buy yeah um, feeling good about myself and sometimes i do buy mushrooms in plastic but it doesn't feel right yeah and with all those things the more you're aware of that the more it actually traumatizes you yeah um and it harder it gets to uh to get the foods that you want <laughs> that don't um, traumatize you when you buy them and I then still like have that. to wonder like where did those mushrooms come from? Who is like, all those things. Awareness is a pain in the ass because the more you're aware of things, the more you start feeling them. Yeah, And and this is where the crux is. And if I decide to be a kind person and and as congruent as I can be, I don't focus on the systems. I recognize and acknowledge the system. Like, because sometimes people say like, oh, you think so much outside the box. And I was like, that's your box. And I, I get that, I, I acknowledge that, that people live in a box, but it's not my box. So I don't live right. outside of the box, I just live me. Right. And by, like the whole system is based on scarcity. There's no time, no resources, we're like we've always in shortage of everything. And then we don't feel worthy, of course, because we're all stuck in those minorities. I think the crux to get out of that, to change systems, is to acknowledge that that is the system Mm -hmm. and acknowledge that you don't want to be part of that or sustain it or maintain it by every action that we do, by every grocery shopping that we do. Um, and then turn around. So like, I want to imagine a world that I would like to live in. All I can do is, 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 is create a community that I'd rather live in than the world that I was confronted with when I was born and by, by creating something that is imaginary and dreamy and then manifests becomes really attractive to the point that a person called me a while ago and said, like, I apologize, I don't have a disability, but I'd like to be part of your community. Can, is that possible? Mm. And then I said, well, we don't hold it against you that you don't have a disability. So <laughs> yes, of course. You're... <laughs> but this is the thing. Isolation is a bigger problem than most of the physical stuff that people deal with. If people are not acknowledged, they don't exist. Yeah. And that is dramatic, traumatic and dramatic. Yeah. Everybody needs to be acknowledged. And you know, Nicolette, it's for free. I know. <laughs> it doesn't cost anything. Oh,
1: right? And this is the part I think, you know, we're all struggling with on a daily basis. It's to simply just acknowledge our own existence, acknowledge our own being, our own thoughts as Valid thoughts just because they are a thought that originated from within us. Um, yeah, and it is a struggle, I mean, to to see yourself and then also be seen by others. And, um, and there's a definition around what that means to be seen, right, by others as well, as opposed to, yeah, so that is something,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, yeah, my heart definitely aches when I think about how many people are alone and lonely and Mm. literally alone um they don't have anybody coming to see them and especially now with COVID as well we have so many people in you know homes retirement homes that are not allowed to see their loved ones their loved ones can't come in and I'm like this is what we are doing to people now um Mm. this is you know that is a system that you know we've collectively created and we see it more than ever now during COVID how um I mean, it's absolutely
0: asinine what's happened. And I think it was always there. It just got illuminated by the pandemic. Exactly. But in the UK, um, for example, there is now a ministry for, before the pandemic already, a ministry for suicide, a ministry for homelessness, a ministry mm. for isolation or loneliness, and a ministry for homelessness. Did I say that? Yeah, or something. homelessness, anyway. yeah those are not problems to fix and by creating ministries and focusing on the problem of homelessness we will never solve the problem of homelessness because it's not a problem to fix it is a a symptom of a system that doesn't give a crap about people Mm -hmm. because it measures in money yeah and if we don't have an economic value anymore we're discarded but the economic yeah. value can also be redefined. Like me as an employer, we have half our team are linker users, people that were unemployed before, except for one who, ha- who did have employment. Um, but it's up to me as an employer to value people and to facilitate in the work environment that everybody can work with us, regardless if they got MS flares or... I don't care like those people it's up to me to facilitate that as an employer so it's the economic value is also defined by what who is economically viable like women clearly are only 23 percent less viable (laughs) because that's the the salary gap that's there i mean it's 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 right in front of us how we're being valued i know and so that system values us that way. Why do we want to engage with that system? I know. And, versus you know,
1: if we were to value people, simply just for them being them or value them for, I mean, the the kindness that they, you know, share with others and the care that they're able to give to others and I mean just imagine what our society would look like, if mm-hmm. you know we valued people and things like that versus. Um, yeah simply just for existing as well and taking the time to learn about the beautiful gifts that they have as well. Like that's the part that I, I, you know, we're just moving so fast all the time. And I'm always so surprised. I love when I talk to somebody and they tell me about, you know, the beautiful things that they've done, or just taking the time to even learn more about you and, and knowing that you did woodworking in Kenya with, you know, street kids Mm -hmm. and how beautiful (laughs) Of an experience was that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was special. That was very special.
1: And where did you come up with the idea for that?
0: Um. Well, it started when I was very young, when I was five or six and my mom lost me, didn't know where I was. She learned to go to the next piece of scaffolding <laughs> I was always hanging with the carpenters. And so that was, that was very young. I love woodwork and um, I've, I've I've become certified woodworker, and then my back couldn't hold that physical work, um, so I became a restoration architect, um, still with, with the woodwork focus, um, but not in the execution as much, more in the design uh, design and, or, of the restoration. Um, what was the question? <laughs>
1: I just wanted to share I, mean, I would love to just hear your story just about how you ended up in kenya doing woodworking
0: with mm. with well, yeah, on the street yeah um i was a restoration architect in the netherlands and um getting a good career having a house having a job or a car like you know all the things that are expected and yeah everybody was like, oh, you're finally getting somewhere. And I felt more and more unhappy. Mm-hmm. I was like, this life is living me. And I'm, you know, my mom took me on a trip to, or I went on a trip with my mom <laughs> <laughs> to, um, to, um, uh, to Florence. And as an architect, of course, I studied Florence and, and Italy, Italian architecture and da, 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 and one moment, one of those things that we visited was the big Medici Chapel. And the Medici Chapel is a sort of obscene um, illustration of what we can all do, because there's like all the the paintings with heavenly blue against the dome. There's the golden um, rims around it. There's the massive um, uh, marble statues and then there's this incredible marble mosaic from all over Italy the most beautiful really and altogether it was dead ugly because it was a show of of wealth and it wasn't anymore about like we re- like if you go to the small Medici chapel that is made by Michelangelo it's very sober and it's it's the first first things of manierism and it's like Tangible and you can feel mm. it. as like wow, it's so subtle, it's so beautiful. And go from there to the big Medici Chapel, and it's like, oh my god, this is like, it's an overkill of right. stuff because it was showing off wealth as the bankers, the Medici were. They just wanted to show off all their wealth, which also allowed artists like Michelangelo and whatever to be known and to to build their and to to make their art. So it had, it's not just negative, <laughs> right. um, but so I was standing in the middle of the Medici chapel pondering on show off of wealth and I was like, that's the people that I work for currently in the Netherlands. I just made a, um, a bathroom that they asked me to, to make a bathroom of $100,000. Guilders at that time, but like dollars. And um, in a monastery where five families um, want to like we'd done the whole restoration of the monastery to make new, livable, modern units in an old monastery without you know raping the building, so to speak. Mm-hmm. and um, And one family had asked me to keep the bathroom untouched because they wanted to give me a special assignment, so a hundred thousand dollars. And with all the force in the world, I only spent (laughs) $86,000, and they were unhappy because now they couldn't tell their neighbors that they had, now they couldn't tell their neighbors that they had a $100,000 bathroom. That's just happened before I went to the Medici Chapa and I was like, oh, that's the people I'm working for. No wonder I'm unhappy because they spent so much money on their personal wealth and they didn't even get a smile on their face. Mm. And right there in the Medici Chapel, I decided to sell my house, to give everything away, and to go somewhere else. Wow. Yeah. And then I, um, you know, in the Netherlands, you got a in the Catholic Netherlands, <laughs> I was raised as a Catholic somewhere until my mom ran out of the church when we were six, when I was six. Um, but... Um, she had worked with some missionaries in Africa and Africa is under the Netherlands and that's a very direct line and I was like I'm gonna go to Africa so long story short I ended up in the slums of Kisumu in Kenya and I never prepare anything when I go somewhere so I just sit there and as we say in, in, the, in the little part of the Netherlands where I'm from, from farmers, farmers, of course, one and one is two. <laughs> we, we, we watch the cat out of the tree. We don't jump into the tree to save the cat, but we watch like, oh, is the cat in the tree? A, is there a ladder, is no ladder? Oh, the cat can come out his own way. OK, don't need to do anything. So that's, that's the, the principle of <laughs> watching the cat out of the tree. Um, So I sat there in the slums on a, you know, as the highway of walking people with big things on their heads was passing by. And um, and I'm a carpenter. I was there to set up a carpentry that was in that project where I landed, was the thing that I was going to do. And that was right in the AIDS pandemic. The whole middle section generation was affected one out of three people were affected at that time and of course nobody died of AIDS because that was a huge stigma Mm -hmm. so I saw people dying left right center with funerals everywhere and people in the slums didn't have the money for a coffin so you're already living in the slums, you're already having to, and the family having to live with the stigma around AIDS and that young people die. On top of that, you don't have the last dignified moment of having a coffin at your funeral. That to me is a justice issue. Mm-hmm. And then I saw that raw timber is really cheap, planed timber was very expensive. I was like, I complain <laughs> So I taught street boys and girls to plain raw timber into plain timber and we made coffins. Wow. Very cheap coffins. But people had coffins. Coffins. Nice coffins too, of course. But that's that's kind of like just looking what's there combining things not adding anything new. Um Especially not as a European coming to bring, you know, helping the poor Africans. Mm-hmm. I have, yeah. Screw that. Like I learned so much in Kenya. The joy that people had together. We had so many parties in the, in the slums of, with dead poor people. But the clothing was nicely ironed, stacked up, mm-hmm. beautifully done. Like in tiny little huts. People were happy. Were proud of who they were. Something that we Westerners have not learned, <laughs> right? So I was yeah. like, "Oh my God, how can you live with so much pride?" Like they were dancing, they felt free in their bodies. I was like, "I've learned so much there." Um, and that's all the messages that we have in our heads: that we're not good enough, we're not worthy, all that stuff. And I started seeing the, that conditioning when I when I went to countries like Kenya or Afghanistan. Um, how much we have to learn when we talk about our authentic selves you hear that so often that people say oh bring your authentic self we have no idea we have no freaking clue what our authentic self is because we haven't even started exploring that yet
1: oh i hear you there and that's something uh you know this past year i've been spending a lot of time on that question and you know What is my authentic self and trying to separate myself from, which I don't know if you truly can, but there's a level of awareness that can arise where you really do see how, you know, you're a product of your family, of your society of, you know, and really just trying to understand what, you know, and, and, and taking almost, I sometimes wish I could take my brain off my out of my head and move it over here so I can just feel in my body because that is where I know my authentic self lies um but it is it's so challenging it's so challenging and of course because it's all tied into so much that happened before you know while we were so young as well you know like I have this just like driven desire to to help people with chronic diseases heal and just to, to feel their bodies free of pain and to feel their bodies, um, you know, be able to move. And, you know, when they have a desire to walk long distances or run or to, you know, do a marathon, but they're not able to do it because they're, they are. They have these chronic health conditions that prevent them. I mean, I just have this drive to them, I'm like, let's work together, and you know, mm. to help them realize that. But where does that even come from? Like, I question, like, is that my authentic, authentic self? You know, I watched my mom grow up, always helping people, and you know, giving so much of herself that I do the same thing, and I push myself past the point of even forgetting to take care of myself to be in service mm. of other people, and I was like, wait, that doesn't seem right. That can't be my authentic self because I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure my authentic self would take care of myself first,
0: too. You only need to take care of yourself when you're giving. Nature is not reciprocated in a mm -hmm. society that only takes. No, exactly. Right? I think the giving is, like, giving is healing. It is. It really is. But giving in a society where everybody else takes you run on empty
1: mm-hmm. now
0: you need self-care yeah but in a in a community where everybody gives you don't need to look much after self-care because the community looks after you yeah after after, after our care right and that's
1: where the scarcity mindset comes in because i see that all the time too it's like i can't give i can't give i can't give because you know i'm i don't have enough time i don't have enough energy i don't have enough and i'm mm-hmm. like my first response is actually if you start to give you will yes. actually develop time you will develop energy you'll develop resources because your mind will also you know come up with these amazing solutions to the lack of time like money lack of resources lack of everything because and you can
0: resource each other
1: exactly
0: right exactly it's incredible I'm, yeah. I'm part of the um, ceo network i'm a I'm, I'm one of the ventures of the second year here in canada literally changed my life because you're going from a transactional world where male investors say like you need to suffer a little bit harder because the risk for us is too big to being surrounded by thousands of women that say like we believe in you we want you to be successful what do you need
1: yeah
0: everything changes everything and you can just relax because being and it's I think it's 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 connecting with um other people that also want to build a community like you want to build a community where you're when you can live on the basis of radical generosity. Because we are radically generous creatures. We are. That resonates with us. But if you're in a system where there's no, where you only have the transactional thing, I give you something and then I'll give you the invoice for it too. right that that's not a relationship and we are relational creatures mm-hmm. So anything that's transactional I'm like like I built my company on partnerships with the whole manufacturing in Taiwan we've never signed a contract wow. but we do have a relationship
1: well it is all about relationships I remember reading uh, Phil Swift's book on how he got started with Nike as well and that w- it really taught me a lot too because you couldn't even enter into any kind of contract without first having a relationship. And you see that in the Middle East and you see it in a lot of non-Western countries as well. It's like, you don't even get to talk business before you have, you know, tea together and get to know each other's family or, you know, to enter into a meeting without going around and asking everybody how their family is doing and is everybody healthy and are they well and what do you need and can I offer support? And then you talk business.
0: Yeah. It's even goes so far that if in, 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 in cultures where you first need to build relationships, you talk about business too, too fast. You have no chance in hell. You'll never get in. Exactly. <laughs> they will not engage with you. And that's, I get that. Yeah. But the scarcity of like, oh, we need to quickly meet and quickly contract and all that stuff. It's like, no, mm-hmm. have tea together. Yeah. Endless tea. Because during tea, all the contracts are made without having contracts. Exactly. And that's, that's where the, you...
1: the trust as well comes in there, right? Because before, if you don't do that, then you don't know anything about the people that you're interacting with. You don't know anything about their life. And so there's no trust, right? You're just yeah. going on word of mouth. You know, Absolutely. Or, or on their word. and But they haven't done anything to earn that yet. And you haven't done anything for them to trust you.
0: Plus it goes to, you hear so often, the the same as the word authenticity people just throw that stuff around like we're so aligned really have you tested if we're aligned (laughs) what are those values really and how does that translate to your practices because i don't like i don't trust anybody who says like oh we're so aligned like (laughs) you say that before we meet
1: yeah
0: no way no we're like that's that's that takes months yeah
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And in this world with so much information, you know, and when we're not actually picking up the phone to have those, you know, to set up a time to have tea, I mean, it can take years before you ever see that. And if you're judging it by social media and everything, but yeah, this is something that absolutely needs to change. And it is why I love Shio as well. I haven't been part of that organization yet. Um, I think I've been so stuck in the, uh, unfortunately, in the mindset of working in the world where it's like, they make you feel really shitty for asking for money or, you know, you just feel awful and you feel awful taking it. And, you know, and then they tell you that like, everything is dependent on the success and you get terrified and, you know, it just freezes you and paralyzes you as opposed to, I mean, Shio is definitely that environment where all of that gets washed away. I've seen it with, you know, other women who've been and other individuals who've been part of that organization it's pretty it's really spectacular
0: but it's interesting what you say like do you hear what you say? like i've been so inundated in my work that i didn't have time for ceo is where if you go to ceo all this stuff just disappears
1: exactly yeah oh i i hear that as i say it
0: right yeah. no I, yeah. I i i know you do <laughs> yeah and it's it just... all
1: comes down to also you're probably one of the first people that, uh, I've spoken with that's described Shio in that way as well, because all I see is what I see on the internet. Mm -hmm. And so then you're like, you know, and of course it's that trust. It's like, there's so many organizations trying to say similar things, but to finally have a relationship with somebody where they describe their experience, all of a sudden that changes everything,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, Mm -hmm. that makes me want to end this podcast right now and go sign up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) And it, it's not to say that everybody in a network is radically generous, because mm-hmm. but everybody is on a journey to become more aware, yeah. open to become more aware, like who are we in this world and how can we be, become more uh, radical generous with mm-hmm. each other? Because the, the deconditioning is a massive job, mm-hmm. but at least in that network, there's an awareness about conditioning. And in right. the works about like, how can we decondition with each other? And how can we build something else? Because people don't want to change. If you just decondition, you've got no alternative. If you yeah. build alternatives, dreaming, ident- uh, imagination, and whatever, then people are like, oh, I'm attracted to this. And oh, now I can change that too. Now I can let that go because there's an alternative. Some people are forerunners. They can, can build stuff. And some people need to be attracted to the built stuff before they can let go of the old stuff. And that's Mm -hmm. just everybody being on their own paths.
1: Yeah. And it does. It takes it. If you haven't been surrounded by radical generosity, then also you're not able to radically receive as well. You have a guilt that's attached to receiving. You don't trust the person who's giving you something. So, you know, who's so liberal with their generosity. And so, you know, it's this catch 22 and it takes that leap of faith, right? It's that, you know, okay, like this is this new way of being can actually work, you know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm you know and we see it in nature I mean you you said that already we see it in nature it's just reciprocal it's just constantly this beautiful flow and as human beings we've you know severed that flow but it's there and available to us
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and giving is healing but receiving needs trust
1: yes it does
0: and in a system that we're trained to be transactional if you give me something I owe you something. Yeah. I don't want to owe you something, so I don't want to receive. I know. Right? So I have learned in the CEO network to relentlessly learn to receive. Mm. My whole giving has changed. Not that I was a stingy person before, but, <laughs> but, but the, the freedom to give has changed. Mm -hmm. because the transactional stuff is gone that changes everything
1: yeah yeah no that's beautiful even in just our interactions too it's just it's been so beautiful and refreshing for me to see that exchange happen you know we're designing this um this way let's talk about that nicolas let's talk about that yeah let's talk about that that that's
0: exciting yes please yes that
1: is that is exactly what happened between you and I. And it was so effortless and it was so beautiful. And, um, you know, that as we were saying, you know, okay, how can, how can my team, my organization support yours and how can yours support ours so that we can support, you know, the collective, all the people who are, may not know about me and may not know about, you know, what you offer to the world. And, but I just loved it because it was just like, almost like you were like, well, I can Buy the course, you know, for, for, for my audience. And I was like, well, I can just give more to your audience. That would make it so much easier. And then it was like, it was just le- like, and it wasn't a competition. It was just like so easy to give, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're making it so easy to give. And, you know, it was just, it was so beautiful. And I was just like, oh, I can't life be like this every day. And the answer is it can be like it this. can be, every yes. Every single day. Yes. Yeah.
0: We just have to build trust with each other in relationship to learn how to receive without owing somebody anything. Yeah. And then your whole giving can change. Exactly. And then we can share resources and things are that effortless.
1: Yeah. That effortless. Yeah. Yeah, Let's talk about that a little bit because um, uh, let's talk about what we are crafting right now. And that is I work in the space of working with individuals who have diagnosed chronic diseases like diabetes, heart disease, autoimmune disorders, um, mental health conditions, a lot of depression, anxiety, panic attacks, um, and, and more. Um, and you're working with individuals who have mobility challenges um, and people who are disabled and so you've you know created the a linker which allows them to you know be able to get around and participate in all of these beautiful ways whether it's you know just going to the grocery store and being able to move your body or and being fully supported in the snow that's what I also love about the A-linker is that you can use it in all weather conditions. Um, And, you know, and then when you had said, well, I really want to, you know, that you're moving in that space of where food is also important as well. Right. And for me, you know, when you reached out to me, I was like, of course, the A-linker is so perfect for so many of my clients, because, you know, they do, they have to use food first to get to the place where they can move the body. But if What if we had the A-linker and food come together? Like Mm -hmm. just that healing would just be like explosive and happen so Mm -hmm. much faster. And so now Mm -hmm. we're talking about creating a program where we can, yeah, support each other, which I think is
0: fantastic. Mm -hmm. It was so interesting when I met you seven, eight years ago, you were only about food and I was only about mobility. Mm -hmm. You have added mobility and moving and active, um, being active to, to your whole program with the 22 million um tour
1: strong yeah the tour yeah my run bike tour. across canada yes. and helping other people get on um, mobile and active
0: yeah exactly and so in the times that I in the years that I've done the linker i always talk about that sick care system that is you know takes care of sick people, you can question how much that needs to be focused on medication, but it's definitely not a healthcare system because it reactive and it kicks in once we're sick. So that's a sick care system, not a healthcare system. But yeah, the moment yeah. you call it for what it is, you can recognize you don't have healthcare. Mm-hmm. And we break down healthcare, we have over time broken down healthcare in mobility community and healthy food. And then Building the company to have access to mobility with the crowdfunding campaigns, with the zero percent to own to a high-quality device, to community with the Linker Academy online courses with the with the crowdfunding campaigns, which we now completed 209 of them or something, and that wow. created a whole community of people showing up for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, And then access to healthy food, but access, creating access for us is the crux as a company. So creating access also to healthy food, also building a partnership with you. Like, how can we give people that have chronic illnesses, because it's not just mobility challenges. There's so many people with chronic illnesses and with mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. And one comment I want to make about mental illnesses in this time. if so many people have mental illness, it's a systemic thing. Again, it's not the problem. To be a bit of a shitter, I always say like, if you don't have a mental health issue in this society, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. So I actually think that having a mental illness is a symptom that there's enough humanity in you yet that you get crushed by this system. we call that a mental health system because now a problem because now we can medicate it but that's that's not underneath if people are lonely and depressed in this world of course we're lonely and depressed in this world that's not a a mental health problem it's a systemic problem it is so how can we build something that we show up for each other again it's for free
1: exactly (laughs) right yeah and having mobility be part of that I just you know I think about well I think about my mom you know she is she's always made you know really healthy food but when she moved from Africa and we moved here when I was four you know she made it the western way and then that western way of preparing these beautiful fruits and vegetables and grains contributed to you know her arthritis and contributed to her gaining weight and then of course that affects her mobility she's still like she'll go out there and run and chase my kids but I mean, her knees are so sore afterwards. And I was just thinking, you know, she absolutely needs, you know, an A-linker. She's going to love it because she'll be zooming Mm -hmm. around everywhere because she does have like she's a bright light and she has all this energy and she wants to participate in life. And and I can just see her loving that. And it is this coming together of because our chronic condition, 60% of people are living with a chronic degenerative condition, like diabetes. Right? Yeah, exactly. At least one. Yeah, most people have four or five. And, you know, and when we talk about overcoming, you know, access to right so if we want to um, look at that I mean having people be mobile is so important for even just accessing clean real food right Mm -hmm. it is so so important because otherwise they're you know eventually in a system where like a hospital system where like that's not food that they provide in in long-term care homes or in hospitals like that is absolutely but if somebody can be mobile and active and then start participating in like being in a community garden and working in the community garden and just getting to a community garden and being around, surrounded by other people who cherish healthy food. I mean, like it all goes together. And mm-hmm. yeah, and community definitely is at the, um, at the center of all of that.
0: But I think it's important to get disability out of the medical world. Yes. I mean, yes, sick care is, and I'm not against medication.
1: No, me neither, yeah.
0: But it has to be sensible and at the moment it's not sensible. No. And it is a massive overkill of writing prescriptions before you actually understand who that person is or what their poop looks like or yeah. what they're eating or how much they're moving.
1: Exactly. You know
0: that should be the first questions and trying to get to know somebody to get a comprehensive idea of who that person in that body is and and what might be related to each other or to the environment that they live in before you just describe medication. And at the moment, it it feels like a system where sick people are the revenue stream of the systems that make money. Exactly. With subsidized food industry feeding pharma. That's the short of it.
1: Yeah. And
0: that's not a conspiracy thing or whatever. It's just living in a society where we measure everything with money That is the result. It's not by design to use sick people as revenue stream, but Hmm. if you measure everything in money, this is the result. People become the revenue stream. Sick people become the revenue stream of the pharma industry, and it's sad. That's not that's. So the solution, instead of trying to fix the healthcare system that isn't a healthcare system, it's very effective right now as a sick care system. So getting disability and chronic illnesses, many of those inflammation and autoimmune diseases should not be in a medical system. They're in, you can treat those with lifestyle choices. And then there's this myth, and please help me debunk this. And there's something that we're gonna together debunk that healthy food is more expensive.
1: Healthy food is not more expensive.
0: Tell and me about it. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> Healthy food is not more expensive. And this is a thing that is so fascinating because, you know, nutritionists and the medical system, and because individuals are that revenue stream within the medical system, you know, then and the way we treat people and the way we measure also their ailments as well, we've been measuring them incorrectly. So, for example, you know, telling people not to eat potatoes potatoes are one of the cheapest foods on the planet Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. we have doctors out there researchers out there and nutritionists out there who've told people for the last decade stop eating potatoes meanwhile potato is the number one food that my clients eat on the therapy they can eat it two times a day three times a day they can eat all the potatoes that they want they can just only eat potatoes if they wanted and they will be healthier and free of their disease if they just did that even okay Mm -hmm. they're the cheapest food on the planet oatmeal right? We have everybody telling everybody, don't eat grains and don't eat this and don't eat that. And oatmeal, my clients eat it every single day. And it's the cheapest food. You know, you can buy a 50 pound bag for like $33 actually from the grocery store. It's the cheapest food. And so, you know, we we are in this place where health as well is an economic uh, advantage to a lot of people. And I love what you said about being part of that revenue stream. And I think it's almost the first thing that individuals need to you know, put that stake in the ground and actually say, I no longer want to be a part of that exactly. health revenue stream or sick care revenue stream. Because when you say that, and you want to remove yourself from that, and you want to find freedom from that, that is when you actually realize like it's so everything is, the food is not expensive. You won't be buying, you know, $80 bags of goji berries, even though fine, eat goji berries. If you live in a place that goji berries are growing and eat them. If you can pick them off the tree and whatever, get them at your local store and they're inexpensive, but ultimately, you know, squash, eat lots of squash, eat lots of zucchini, eat lots of carrots, It's cheap. No, yeah, no, And you don't need to add the expensive olive oils. Like everybody, you know, treat all, treats olive oil like wine now. And you don't need to add any oils at all to your food. And the food will be actually even more delicious. You don't need to buy that expensive pink Himalayan crystal salt. In fact, the no salt is what liberates my clients from their chronic conditions and it's knowing that you know it's it's not sodium we need it's potassium and potassium comes in abundance from these very inexpensive foods that are in abundance all around us no matter where you are on the planet and most people you know they say oh it's so hard to get food and there's so much food that we just step on and we mow over every single day and it's Mm -hmm. free and available to us but of course it's you know we've been raised in an education system that doesn't even know what food is
0: Plus that all the health foods, dietary stuff is, Ugh. again, it's, it's an economic model. It's, a, it's an industry,
1: yes.
0: huge industry, all the supplements and stuff. It is crazy making because people don't know anymore what is healthy food. This is yeah. why I like to partner with you, why we've started the conversations, because you bring it down to... Just use your brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's right in front of us. Yeah. Right? But oh yeah. Like, like it it's not that complicated. No. If you're under, if your mind understands that that's real food, it's real food. Yeah. If you if your mind can't understand what how processed that is and what's still in there, your body probably can't understand that either. And it gets yeah. confused and it starts making the wrong sugars or like whatever. But just bringing food back to real food, honest food.
1: Yeah, and it is—it's about that decolonize, decolonizing our food system, really, because it is through thinking that we need flour to make these beautiful cakes, to make these, you know, different pastries that are so expensive on a shelf, and and ultimately, I mean, you can use the whole food, the whole grain, the whole everything, and you'll get a meal that a You don't need to eat as much because it's so filling because it's so nutrient dense. And so then you're not in this constant starvation mode where you're just like filling your face with whatever's in front of you because your body's looking for nutrients. It's so beautiful. So you spend less time in the kitchen, which Mm -hmm. spending time in the kitchen, we need some people to spend more time in the kitchen. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, you know, we you can spend less time in the kitchen, more time with your family. And so it's about freedom in all areas. It's your Mm -hmm. bank account becomes free right? Your grocery bill is probably the most expensive, one of the most expensive bills, you know, that a lot of people have right now um, next to their mortgages. If they're, you know, if Mm -hmm. they can have a mortgage. And so, you know, it is, it's freedom from all of these systems that have been created, that have created the symptoms, which are the, you know, lack of mobility and, and the excessive chronic disease in our households.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what are we going to do (laughs) what are we going to do together yay
1: (laughs) sure let's talk about that let's talk about that yeah so we
0: are we want to invite people right and this might be a first invite like laying the foundation what we're actually want to do so what is it going to look like yeah, we so, discussed this offline already. So. Yeah,
1: exactly. So we are going to be offering a course. So it's a five-week program. It's actually a six-week program, but you'll have access to it to, you know, for life. And we're going to be inviting people to participate in that program. I'll be meeting with everybody once a week um, to answer any questions because there's so many questions that come up around food, right? Like, should I eat this? Should I eat that? And we're going to be dismantling all of that. So it'll, just like you said at the very beginning of the show, that you know, within yourself, what is healthy food. And we want to get people to that place where they just know it and their body craves it. And it just loves it. Like your brain's going to light up. It's going to be beautiful. And Mm -hmm. so then we're going to offer weekly coaching for everybody as well. So we can answer all their questions. And then um, from your side, you're going to be and then, of course, we're going to be, this program is to show people how to reverse their chronic diseases. Yes. So if you have a diagnosed chronic condition like diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, autoimmune disorder, um, depression, anxiety, if you're suffering from panic attacks, um, you know, the list is long, skin disorders, um, mm-hmm. infertility for for many people, like all of that can be reversed. And mm-hmm. so, we'll, so I'll be... Guiding people through how to do that by getting them to understand what real food is, you know, how to prepare it, what meals, healthy meals look like, truly healthy meals that reverse chronic disease. And then I loved what you had proposed, B, is that we are going to be tracking the results as well, because that's really important. And so, tracking those results so that we can see before and after Mm -hmm. what that looks like. So, lab results everything, keeping the data on that, seeing how people can go from completely not being able to move their bodies. And then within a few weeks, being able to go for hikes and walks and, you know, or, you know, in, in some cases, if they need the a linker, being able to actually use it and feel really, really good being out there, um, you know, in their bodies free of, you know, their arthritis and, and, and chronic pain.
0: I've, I've got a few people in our, um, in our customer base, uh, in our community who um, have reversed their diabetes or pre-diabetic condition.
1: I love this. Just with the A-linker. Just,
0: just with activity. Imagine if you add mobility and better food choices. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't wait <laughs> to, to prove that it's not that hard. We oh. can do this together. Exactly. And as the linker, we will, we, will, we will pay for this course or get it reimbursed after you've done the six weeks or get a big discount on your linker or something. We'll figure out something that we will subsidize for you to, to do this course with us because I can't wait to get 10, 20 people, whatever that it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Show, like you do this, that is possible. Yeah. And now we measure, like for example, the Olinker is two and a half thousand US or something. Yeah. And a scooter is two and a half thousand US. If you see them in a the metaphor as the sick care system with a scooter that has a lot of side effects, right? All those yeah. side effects, they they cost money. Never mind your health or happiness. Oh yeah. But beyond that, it costs money. They do have implications. The one time investment of the Olinker could have no or less uh, oh, side exactly. effects, right? So the, the, the initial investment in getting a device has different cost to it. Food, same thing. Exactly. You have the, the bad food or the real food. And this might be a little bit more expensive in the beginning because you need to switch stuff and you, your body needs to adjust and all that. We can deal with that extra cost. Okay. We can help you get there. If you if you see all the side effects that cost money that you then don't have anymore, then this is a no brainer. Yeah. We just by always focusing like this is the problem and I want to fix it. You we don't see the bigger picture, yeah. and this is what I love so much about your what you're doing and and how that is actually aligned with what we're doing because we've tested that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is what helps us to to learn to to decondition from all the subsidized non-foods to actually take back our lives exactly take back agency over this body i am in charge what goes into that mouth yes i am in charge of my own health and i don't follow diets and i don't follow anything that's been sold to me by da 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 yeah and I'm in a community that I can trust people like I'm in a community yeah. where we support each other and like keep going that's okay yeah. like we're feeling does not feel good when you're like we've got people that do marathons together They spurt them, themselves on all the time. And they they have a, a link of racers group now that they share all the marathons half marathons Disney runs whatever they do. Um, there and it's it's a community that that encourages each other to 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 be better every day yeah so adding the whole food component in partnership with you to activity oh i can't wait nicolette
1: oh i can't (laughs) wait either and for me as well it's adding that mobility piece and you know giving um having that opportunity available as well to my clients it's you know we know that 20 minutes of exercise a day for mental health for diabetes for heart disease it has Huge profound effects, even without changing your diet. But then if you can't get out there because you don't have access to an A-linker or something like that, then you know how it's it's gonna just take so much longer to get there. You can start with the diet that can help you along faster. But some people just don't even have access to this knowledge yet. And so while they're trying to figure it out, so it doesn't matter. Start with mobility, start with diet. But in this case, what you and I are doing is we're saying we're gonna put it together and we're gonna keep track of the results to really just show people that you know what your doctor might have told you that you have to live with this condition for the rest of your life and I can tell you that is not true at all and going back to the to the piece about money yes we're trying to separate ourselves from this economic model that thrives on sick individuals it thrives on it so many people are making money off of this but what's beautiful is when you take back that agency then actually you will see your bank account grow. Because a lot of my clients, some some of them are spending $30,000 US on medications a year Mm -hmm. to battle things that can be reversed in literally a month to two months.
0: MS is on average $65,000 a year. That's average. Yeah. Yeah. And that's driving people into poverty.
1: Into poverty. They're remortgaging their homes. They're choosing yeah. to not take certain medications. They're choosing, you know, and of course, then life expectancy goes down. They're not participating with their family. In the stress too, on the body and, and the mind, you know, from from bills like that. It's yeah. Terrible. Yeah. It is.
0: It is. And then lastly, Nicolette, um, on the sixth of April, mm-hmm. you are my special guest in the Zoom call that we do about what is real food, Yes. what is real healthy food, is food Mm -hmm. medicine. Yes. We have a a series of five Zoom calls about sort of systemic issues beyond the linker, and the fourth one in that series is what is healthy food with you as a special guest. I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm so excited to be there. And in the meantime, we will um, announce and and ask people who want to commit to six weeks of doing the course together. Yes. We do need a commitment from people to really follow through those like oh it's nice we're going to try that and after the second week oh, I don't have time for that. Yeah. don't need that real commitment and you will lay out all the things that people need to commit to.
1: Exactly.
0: And then see if we can um, round up a group of people that are like, let's do this together. Exactly. exactly. Either a linker users or want to be a linker users doesn't matter. Um, but bringing mobility and healthy food together in a way that is supported by two companies that mm-hmm. want this to happen
1: exactly yeah mm-hmm. all in the service of healthier communities for sure Absolutely. Yep. exactly no I'm really excited about that and for anybody who you know just listen to this and they're still thinking like what am I getting myself into please <laughs> know this is not a fad diet trend this is not a diet or a cleanse or anything like that this is actually just Understanding how you can use food so that it is just part of your lifestyle forever. Everything you learn is, you know, what you'll be then teaching to your families, your neighbors, your community. You know, it's not something you just, you know, can buy in a kit on a box on a shelf anywhere. This is literally learning about what real food is and its power to reverse
0: chronic disease. There we go. Yes.
1: Yes. This was good, B. Oh, my goodness.
0: I love it. Yeah, I'm looking forward little... to that, Nicolette. And it's, mm-hmm. um, I'm super happy that we did this podcast. So we sort of launched it out in the world. Yes. And yes. then the follow-up steps on the 6th of April, people can sign up for the newsletter on alinker.com. Perfect. Under community, there's a drop-down menu with a newsletter. There's also the archive of the old newsletters. And I sent you just a few ones in the, in the, in the, in the, in the mail so you can um, review them.
1: Amazing. And just for anybody who knows, if you're listening to this, 80, we, we are in 87 different countries around the world. You can go directly to the A Linker site and you can order an A Linker and it'll be shipped to you, I believe, anywhere.
0: Um, yeah, well, in principle, yes, we can ship from other countries, too, but shipping costs are a little bit crazy. If we don't have distribution in that country, we okay. have shipped and we do ship um, a linkers. We always try to make it work. Okay. Okay. Yep. That's good. That's yep. good.
1: Amazing. Thank you Wonderful. for sharing all this incredible discussion that just went into so many beautiful areas that um, so desperately needed. We need to be having these conversations that matter everywhere. So please share this podcast with everyone and not just you, B, but everybody who's listening. And thank you, B, for being on our show.
0: Thank you, Nicolette. Wonderful being here. And I'm looking forward to more.
1: Me too. Me too. Thank you. And there you have it, folks. What an exciting, engaging, thought-provoking conversation. B brings so many important topics to light in this one episode. And we want you to join us in our study where we're going to be supporting several individuals and in learning about food as medicine to reverse their chronic disease. We'll be supporting them in a six-week online program, you can sign up for that in the links below and participate in this course where you get access to the course for a lifetime, but you'll also get access to all the recordings, the live recordings that I'll be doing with you to teach you how to use food as medicine to reverse your chronic illnesses. So sign up today. So excited to have B from A Linker Bikes and myself from Richer Health and the Green Mustache supporting you in reclaiming your health and your life. Thanks, now, thanks for now and see you all next week for another episode of the Eat Real to Heal podcast. Bye for now.